This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello there. Welcome to you. This is the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Peter Gowers and my co-host name is Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? Really well, mate. Really well. Uh, Pretty relaxed. Relaxed and comfortable as John Howard wanted us to be. I was only thinking of him the other day, thinking maybe... um, be worth trying to have a chat with him about a few things, uh, you know. With a uh, sort of thing about um, uh, capital gains tax, which which he and Peter Costello, I guess, famously or infamously changed and tinkered with. It still stays the same to this day. And I was thinking, because he obviously is still alive and and former prime minister, I wonder if he could have ever perceived, or not perceived, ever thought of the sorts of things that, that we've been going through the last 12 months or so and, uh, you know, if if he would have handled them the same or differently. Well, actually, as a matter of fact, it was Keating and Hawke that brought in capital gains tax in 1985. But it, it, was, it was the thing where um, if you kept it for more than 12 months, you only had to pay half your marginal yes, rate. That, that's right. That was Costello and, yeah, right. okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I wasn't... Uh, articulating it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I had Howard on the, on the podcast, I'd ask him why on earth he dragged Australia into a, into war, into Iraq. Uh, mm. Something I never understood at the time turned out to be something that was uh, uh, not really well understood afterwards. Um mm. And it's created a whole lot of drama that uh, we're still trying to unpick. So, mm. yeah, yeah, interesting too. We we yeah, followed that. our we followed our little buddies, didn't we? A little, our big buddies, I yeah, suspect. Yeah, but, uh, as, as we have done over the years. Coalition of the willing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, talking about John Howard and uh, and prime ministers. Uh, our listeners would, uh, well, our regular listeners would well know that we had Malcolm Turnbull on the podcast a few months ago. Mm. And without giving anything away, we are lining up another prime minister or ex prime minister. To yeah, yeah. To. Yep. Uh, and with a bit of luck, we'll have, have them on uh, in the not too distant future. Mm. Yep. It'll be interesting, particularly with uh, everything that's going on at the moment. We'll uh, pick his or her brain. Yes, but uh, for this evening uh, we haven't got haven't quite got an ex prime minister, but uh, we a have future someone, prime minister. We have someone uh, uh, who has had a little bit of a hand in politics, and I uh, look forward to speaking with him about that. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Brad Gaddies. Did Thanks, I get that right, thank Brad? you. It's all good. I, I answer to that. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> How do you actually pronounce it? It's Brad Gaddis. 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 Oh, Gaddis, right. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, so got, and, I, in fact, on, on Qantas the other day, the uh, cabin manager uh, got it right for pretty much the first time ever of all of my flights. And I was like, <laughs> well done, Qantas. <laughs> so when did Qantas start actually uh, looking at names? Uh, I, I don't know, actually. I don't know. I must, I must have been lucky. Yeah, because it's normally, I think, business class that they actually make an effort to, to pronounce your name when they're serving you drinks and things, right? Yes, yes, you're right. Uh, this was definitely not business class, but it was uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a lovely uh, ride down Alice Springs last week. And, um, yeah, they, they 
welcomed me uh, very personally and then you know, served me a, a, a very sumptuous uh, meal of um, a wrapped up piece of banana bread, which was good. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I, I did read, as a matter of fact, I think it might have even been today, uh, that Qantas is introducing um, full meals in economy class and and free alcohol. Yeah, I, I actually did see that uh, in the last couple of weeks as well, um, and I think that it was um, I think it was a bit of an underhanded gig, uh, dig at uh, Virgin Two Point um, right. with them uh, moving a little bit towards the uh, the, the, the budget model um, versus uh, full service, and uh, I think it was their way of, uh, of having a bit of a dig. But uh, I don't know the you know, prices in the Northern Territory at the moment. Uh, you, you, you kind of want more than a bit of banana bread. Right. So what, what is the mm. current airfare, uh, the cost of uh, Darwin Alice run? It was 860 return uh, for me. So um, that's a bit at the higher end of, of where it normally is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Look, you know, I've, I've done the, the run for, for many years uh, with work and, uh, you know, in around that low 600 mark um, is um, – was was pretty much standard, but um, yeah, in the last year or so, it's been up over eight hundred, which is uh, a little bit disappointing, to be honest. It just goes to show, as well, though, um, you know how we really do get stung with prices when it comes to flights, because you know, if you look at say Melbourne to Brisbane, you're not paying anything like that, and it's it's a basically the same sort of distance flight. So I've um, I've got a credit uh, sitting on my Qantas uh, account, which I would love to use for a um, a flight to America that I, I didn't use uh, in August of last year. I, mm. I was planning on jetting out uh, August twenty four, two days after the election, and getting out of the out of the country for a holiday, and that was eight hundred and eighty eight dollars to go Sydney to LA return. Right. So only only twenty dollars more expensive to do Sydney to LA than. Um, <laughs> Darwin, Darwin to uh, Alice Springs. But and that's anyway. with Qantas? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't understand how airfares work. Clearly, it doesn't, it's not based on distance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, price yeah. per kilometre. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Gaddis. Yes. What, what sort of name is that? Where do you trace that back to? Uh, Scottish, uh, I think. Yeah, I think. Um, and and you know the the Gaddis Mackay uh, family. We uh, we landed in Nambucca Heads and in, in uh, New South Wales um, back in the eighteen hundreds, I think it was. And then um, my um, my granddad's side of the family, um, who, who eventually became the Gaddises, they they moved up to Brisbane, and yeah, and the, the rest is history. So, 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 so Gaddis Mackay, I don't know. Uh, Connor McLeod, I know. Uh, well, the Gaddis, <laughs> G- Gaddis, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gaddis Mackay, uh, I don't know where the Mackay um, family came from, but uh, I, I know from tracing my my history that the, the I think the Mackay family history in, in our roots is uh, strong from the Scottish uh, connections, and, and us Gaddises maybe got forgotten somewhere along the line. Right, right. So, do you have a kilt and a sword? 
uh, I think that there is some sort of kilt uh, somewhere along there. <laughs> uh, this is the uh, this is the newsreader dress, so we you know we only need to have the top half of our uh, bodies. Uh, There's the promo the shot for us, Leon. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so uh, you were born in Brisbane, then? Yes, born in, born in Brisbane. Um, my uh, me and my sister. Uh, in in the late 70s um, and uh, on my dad's side, uh, you know, we've got a a big family on my dad's side. He's the second youngest of eight Um, and uh, on mum's side, um, she's the eldest of three So, um, and we're the only grandkids on on that side. But, um, yeah, grew up in in Brizzy and and then... Which part of Brizzy? We've always been south side, so um, uh, Annerley, um, uh, to, to be honest, uh, my, my grandparents actually lived in Ekebin and long-term uh, uh, Brisbane residents would actually know the suburb of Ekebin, uh, which uh, Ekebin Road is now part of Annerley. But, um, yeah, they uh, it, back then uh, if you used to say the tennis courts at Ekebin, uh, everyone knew my, um, my grandparents' house um, back in the... Uh, well, in the, the, the post-war days, uh, probably. So they, they lived there for many, many years. So, uh, I mean, I, I lived on the south side in Carindale, but and Annerley, I'm figuring, is the Air Force Base or something, is it? I feel no, like that's Amberley. Amberley, so, sorry. Annerley, Tarragindi, um, sort of uh, Salisbury um, type area, the, um, the the other side of the southeast freeway, but uh, hugging the southeast freeway in the what is it, the uh, Juliet Street and Cornwall Street exits uh, on the southeast freeway, and you're really pushing my memory to remember those exits. <laughs> <after so many laughs> years. Is, it, is, it, is it near Mount Gravatt? Because that's always regarded not, as being south. Yeah, side. not too, not too far away, not too far away. But we're we're probably only a couple of. Um, I know you're you're uh, UQ. I, I I used to take the but um, the the ferry of uh, Dutton Park across to St Lucia. So Dutton Park was probably only ten minutes around the corner from us. Right. So I have to make a, an admission at this point. I have never set foot in the UQ UQ campus. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, I know. It's a, I understand. It's a beautiful campus. It is. It's an iconic University of Australia. Right, right. Well, I should do that because I got a degree from there, but I didn't actually <laughs> go there. <laughs> you just sent a check, did you, mate? <laughs> no, they uh, back in the back in the early nineties, mate. They flew their lecturers up to Darwin to, ah, to of course, uh, yeah. law school. So, so uh, yeah, I got my degree from there, but the, and the lecturers were all from there, but. Uh, the law school was up here. They anyway. came to you. Yeah, yeah, and that's how I ended up in Darwin. But, um, right, so uh, fond memories of, of uh, Brisbane growing up? Yeah, look, we, we left there in um, 1986. Um, my, my parents had split up in the early 80s and mum got remarried in 85 and then um, my stepfather found himself with a job in, in Mackay um, soon after um, mum getting remarried. So we, um, we we moved up to Mackay. So, you know, there's not too many memories, I guess, of a, you know, when you're eight, eight and under uh, of mm-hmm. Brisbane, but we spent a lot of time going back there on school holidays and all of my extended family uh, is, is based in and around um, southeast Queensland, whether it be you know, Brisbane, Ipswich, Gold Coast uh, sort of area. So, um, yeah, look, it's um, it's a hard one, like especially being on Territory Stories podcast to, to say that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always feel like a Queenslander. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, 
you know, I, I don't get back there as often as I want to. But All right. Well, there's no problem with that. You see, that's the beauty about the territory, I think. Nobody cares. No. You know, no one cares that, you know, you have an affiliation to Queensland or, you know, in, in Pete's case, the Melbourne Storm, you know. I mean, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay with that because that, that's half of uh, the, you know, the Queensland. Yeah, it's very uh, true, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. <laughs> that's it. Queenslanders don't mind the storm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those borders have a, there's some sort of common hatred of yeah. Yeah. What, what sits between them. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, you followed rugby fairly closely as a kid? No, look, not really. I think it's probably um, more that, um, you know, when, you're sitting around on the weekends and uh, in, the, in the family home and, you know, the, the uh, NRL comes on and the stepdad, you know, was always wanted to sit down and watch it and, uh, you know, I followed Brisbane Broncos because they, they were our team from Brizzy and, um, you know, and then sometimes, you know, in the school holidays uh, down in Brisbane, um, you know, uh, where I'd, I'd go and see Dad and Dad would uh, take us along to um, some of the matches, whether they were... Um, uh, Broncos back in the QE2 stadium uh, days when when they were um, over there at Mount Cravat and um, and even uh, I remember um, Dad managed to corporate box tickets to the uh, Gold Coast Giants uh, oh, wow. back in the back in the day so uh, that was uh, very early on I, I think I've I don't think I've ever seen a Titans play but I've seen the, um, the Giants and the Seagulls. <laughs> So, um, go, go, figure, wow. go figure. You want a few I, people. I look, I, I think, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I did hear that the uh, Titans, um, is it Titans Broncos, I think, up here? Is it Titans Broncos? No, it's Eels Broncos up here. Yeah, up yeah. Here. So, yeah. Um, tickets went on sale today. I'm not doing a sales pitch for anyone, but mm. uh, probably uh, would love to get out there and, uh, and watch a game. It's been many years. Right. And, and what's Mackay like? Oh, look, Mackay's changed so much from the the, um, the town that I remember us moving to and, um, you know, the, the palm tree-lined streets and, you know, a, a, a mall that wasn't a mall because there was cars going down it, which you know, we could never <laughs> understand, like, defeat the purpose of what a mall is. Um, you know, I was just talking to someone the other day about, uh, you know, crocodiles and, and, and stuff like that. And, and growing up, like, we... We obviously worried about box jellyfish um, and, uh, and you know, so uh, stingers and wearing your, your pantyhose and stuff in the ocean or, or in, the, in the nets and stuff like that uh, in, the, in the, the, what we call the wet season. Um, and, um, but like crocs were, you know, they just weren't anywhere to be seen uh, when we were up there. So, you know, I remember swimming, and swimming at the beaches and, you know, we, uh, we weren't fishing up the estuaries and stuff. We didn't really worry about it. But, um, you know, now my, my young nephew's uh, getting out there in the boat with uh, my brother-in-law and uh, I don't think you'd want to be falling over uh, there these days. Um, you know, life's changed a little bit. And and then, of course, the, the mining boom and, you know, the, um, the, the parts of Mackay that I remember just being sugarcane fields and, um, and now they're um, either um, housing estates or, or, or businesses and, and stuff. So it's... Um, yeah, the change in Mackay, like, and you've got to remember, I guess it's, you know, more than 30 years, um, you know, um, so you would hope that uh, there'd be a, a lot of change. But, um, yeah, it's been a few years since I've been back there, but, you know, Mackay's uh, got a, a, a decent part of my heart to it and, um, you know, my sister still lives there with uh, 
um, my brother-in-law and their two kids. So it's um, yeah, not, not not a horrible place to visit, that's for sure. Mm. And it is, uh, I mean, I'm looking at a map of Mackay because that, that's one part of, uh, of Australia that I, I must say I'm not entirely familiar with, but it's not too far from Ely Beach. Did you, uh, did you head up that way? Yeah, um, Early Beach. Uh, that was that was our schoolies, actually. Um, <laughs> you know, when, when we when we grew up in in, in Mackay, that's uh, I think um, oh, there's probably about six or eight of us. I think nicked up to to Early Beach for for schoolies week. I remember four of us in the back of a um, Datsun one twenty Y going going flat chat up the Bruce Highway, missing all the potholes and uh, and the the ongoing roadworks that uh, the Bruce Highway is infamous for. And um, mm. and look, Early Beach, it's it's the same thing, Leon. Like the the changes to Early Beach o- over the years are just uh, unbelievable. Uh, and you know the yeah, there was always backpackers and tourists and stuff there, but um, compared to what's there now, it's uh, you know it's very commercial um, and um, probably didn't have as much of the doesn't have as much of the that sort of sleepy um, sort of village feel to it that it had um, um, back then. You know, I um, I still remember when I got my license uh, back in '94 in grade twelve, uh, the winter holidays. Well, not really winter holidays, but um, and uh, and went for a drive with mum uh, for the day. She was uh, working for ANZ and, and had to go and see customers up in uh, in Ellie Beach and went and hang out for the day. Uh, up there and got a chance to drive the car for the first time on the learners and um yeah you know it's um i, I think mum would probably you'd have to pull her nails out of the uh, dash of the car if she had me driving <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the traffic of early beach as a 16 year old uh, these days but yeah it's a very different place but beautiful right like you know south mile island lindeman island hamilton island you know i've got opportunities to go see them um, quite you know quite often growing up and and for us uh Brampton Island was probably the, the big one for mm. us um out off from Mackay where I remember uh you know we'd we'd get a big bunch of us kids from school and it would be um I think it was about 45 bucks which uh you know back in the mid 90s so early 90s 45 bucks was uh you know get your get your a fair weight I reckon it was probably about 10 hours of uh Minimum uh, minimum wage work at McDonald's uh, back then, and, um, but yeah, we'd 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 nick over on the fantasy uh, boat over to um, Brampton Island. You're hopping on the rickety train from the pier and hang out at the resort for the day, and then uh, come home and uh, you know all all unsupervised, uh, <laughs> a bunch of teenagers nicking off to the island mm. for the day. But um, you know that was that, that was really good memories. I can't even find Brampton Island here. Where is that exactly? I was listening to who's the last last pod, podcast you had with the ANSEPT uh, person uh, on there, wasn't it? Oh, I think yeah. That was yeah, Robin yeah, Robin. Yeah, it's a, it was a uh, so um, Brampton was a, an ANSEPT uh, island, so they ah. um, they oh, were actually doing. So it's been sunk stuff. then, has it? Uh, I think it got bought out, and I think it got um, and then they they banned um, they banned day tourists there, which was um, oh wow, very interesting. So yeah, yeah, not a smart thing to do in a good way to guarantee bankruptcy. Yeah, <laughs> madness, madness, right? <laughs> <laughs> and did you do? Did you ever do the uh, the bear boat charter out of the week Sundays? Uh, I haven't done, but. Um, my my best mate and uh, and his wife are both turning forty 
um, this year and uh, we, we're actually uh, in the middle of uh, planning that holiday at the moment <laughs> to get a, a, a yacht out of Early Beach and, and spend a week going through um, the, the wet Sundays. So um, we're just, uh, yeah, we're literally just working through the uh, logistics of that at the moment. So that's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, is my memory failing me or was there a tourist that got bitten by a shark? A shark? Yeah, they're twice. Twice, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, not, not, well, not, not twice, but two, two, uh, two <laughs> uh, yeah. But the, both times they got uh, bitten once and that was all that was needed. So, yeah. um, uh, yeah, and, and I've got an upcoming trip to uh, to Perth as well, uh, Leon, and uh, I believe that there might be some shark attacks uh, that have happened over there as well. So, I, uh, mm. I'm not. Where, where is it safe to, uh, to 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 swim in in Australia? You know, I think in a swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> I think you. Um, I think if you look over my over my shoulder this way, I think maybe mm-hmm. you can see the uh, the lake of the the seventeenth hole at uh, the Alice Springs Golf Club. I think that's mm. probably about the safest place <laughs> to. Uh, Pretty uh, much. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, you finished school and what uh, went straight to Macca's, or how, how did that happen? I yeah, I was um, I was working for Ron and Cree Resic, who um, uh, to be honest, I and if Ron ever listens to this, he, he probably will, will die. But I was uh, I was I was scared shitless to be honest of uh, of Ron uh, back as a as a young fifteen year old working at, at Macca's. But um, uh, I started in ninety three, thirty first of March ninety three, and and uh, worked through um, to the end of my schooling in ninety four, and. Um, and then, yeah, when I, uh, I was an exchange student in Denmark in 95, uh, which was... So what year um, was that? Uh, what, so what year were you in in 95? In 95, I'd finished grade 12 um, oh, in, right. in 94 okay. and then and, and went overseas. And, yeah, and, and then, why did you choose Denmark? Uh, my sister was an exchange student in, 90, in 94 um, and she went to Canada uh, and she was in Sault Ste. Marie, Canada and... Uh, it was, um, and she spoke. They spoke English uh, where she where she was. And when I was going through the, um, the like the, the the application process with Rotary Youth Exchange, I was like, I want to go somewhere where I'm going to learn another language. If I'm away for another year, I really want to, you know, challenge myself and and immerse myself in a, something I sort of considered was a completely different um, uh, a culture and. Uh, 1994, when we're going through that process, um, uh, I, I, South Africa was actually one of the top places on my list, and it was uh, very quickly removed uh, from the list. <laughs> you uh, dodged a bullet that. there. Uh, and uh, oh, look, I, I met some South Africans when I was in Denmark, and they said that, uh, to be honest, um, you know, I probably would have lived a, a life of luxury. But um, I, you know, I'm glad I didn't do that. Like, I, you know, and um, you know, I think I'd be worse off now uh, living in the territory and, and knowing what I know and how I interact with, um, you know, the the white and black sort of um, side of things in the Northern Territory. I think that really would have set me up poorly for life um, uh, at that time in South Africa. So, you know, don't want to sort of get into those deep sort of things there. But, yeah, I... Um, um, uh, Den- Denmark was one of the things on the list because they actually take the most number of uh, Rotary Exchange students worldwide. So, um, so how did you get involved in Rotary? 
my sister and I were actually both, um, my sister, it's like I was following in my sister's uh, footsteps a little bit. She was that one year above me and she was in the Interact Club uh, at school, which is the school version of, of Rotary. And um, so we interacted uh, with the with the Rotary Clubs and uh, I'd sort of, uh, back then I can't remember, there was a, there was a few different big exchange programs um, back in the 90s and um, and then when I found out about Rotary I thought you know this is Rotary is the sort of organization that I, I would I would like to have done it in and um, and through that connection with Rotary uh, Interact uh, my sister was president and then of course I took over as president of Interact when uh, <laughs> when my sister's year uh, ended and then my sister went and she was uh, she went through Porter Mackay Rotary Club and um, I, uh, I applied to Porter Mackay as well and, and, and missed out by uh, um, one point to the the girl who was, you know, down at the private school down the road and uh, her dad was a member of the uh, uh, of the Rotary Club and, you know, so I had people saying, hey, don't give up, don't give up, you know, keep applying and you'll get it. And I ended up um, applying through Rotary Club of Serena and, um, and I was the first person who hadn't actually lived in a Serena district um, to, to represent the Serena Rotary Club. And, um, yeah, I, I look, I had a fantastic year overseas. And um, How did you yeah. choose the, uh, the – how did you choose the family and all that? Oh, look, that all gets done for you. So it was, um, you know, I had the three countries that I, I chose and, and they, they allocated me to Denmark. Um, I spent my first two weeks with uh, a lovely, lovely family um, in Ordensa and they, um, I stayed my first two weeks with them in uh, to, while I was going through a language school, um, just picking up the basics of, uh, of, of Danish and, um, you know, it was... Uh, uh, hi, yay hither Brad. Uh, yay come from Australian. Yay, uh, three of, well, I can't even say 43, but anyway. Uh, you know, it was just as simple things of, um, and, and counting and, uh, and understanding, um, you know, some of the pronouns and stuff like that. So, um, you know, a big, uh, crash course in, uh, in Danish in two weeks. And then, um, I had three families, uh, across the year and would do four months with each family. And, and when you're looking on a, a chart of uh, English uh, level, um, my first family was at the bottom of that chart uh, and uh, my last family was at the top. So it potentially worked against me that, um, you know, my first host dad uh, couldn't speak a word of English, like not a word. And, but but so, um, so where was this place? I'd like to look that up. Where was <laughs> All right. Well, I went, I went to school in Viola. So it was, it's V-E-J-L-E. Uh, we're about 100 k's north of the German border on, on Jutland, on, um, oh. on, the, um, on, the, on the mainland of Europe. Um, and the middle island there of Foon uh, is where uh, Audensa is. So, um, you know, not too far around the corner, but, you know, 50 k's around the corner probably from where I was living. And, um, but, yeah, spent my life um, actually in a little village outside of Violet in Burkop. I don't know if that's. I don't know how far you need to zoom into your map there, Leon, to find that. But, uh, <laughs> well, I can see it's close to Legoland. Did you go there? <laughs> <laughs> I actually did go to Legoland, and my uh, my first host dad um, uh, had uh, in his in his work. He was working in transport, and he. Uh, had an affiliation with some people who got us into Legoland, and um, yeah, it was absolutely spectacular uh, going to Legoland. Um, yeah, around the corner in Billund, I believe. Yes, yes, Billund. Yeah, so right, so this is quite a ways from Copenhagen. So. And that was it your is. first your first family. My goodness, yeah. that would have been a hell of a culture shock. 
It was, and, and like you'd, we'd spoken to the exchange students from the year before and you'd sort of catch up with a few that had been to Denmark and everyone was like, oh, you won't see snow, don't worry. You know, you, you just never see snow. It's Denmark, you know. It's the highest uh, point in Denmark, um, Kimmelberg, uh, is like 160 metres above sea level. And uh, I think that the, uh, and while I was there, they, they, they topped out one of the pillars for one of the bridges, which then became the highest point in Denmark, was a pillar of one of the bloody bridges. So, um, so it was just, you know, you just weren't going to see um, snow. And uh, I remember on the BA flight coming into uh, Copenhagen and looking out the window going, their grass is awfully white in Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different so strain. We, it's a very different strain, yeah. The, um, the Sir Walter is not doing so well. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, then and hop, ha, then had to hop on another plane um, back to uh, Audensa because, um, uh, you know, back then there was actually no bridge um, right, connecting right. Um, Sealand and Foon. So, um, they were, as I said, they were, they were constructing that bridge uh, when I was there, open a couple of years later. And, and now, of course, um, on the eastern side of Copenhagen, you can um, drive to Sweden uh, across yes. the, mm, the Danish-Swedish yeah. bridge there. So, um, yes. yeah, look, so it was very much um, uh, a distance thing for us. You know, I really got over to Copenhagen a couple of times in, in, in the year just because it was so far away. But um, at the same time, like, um, very humorous name around the corner from where we were, the Middle Farts. Um, <laughs> we, um, there was a lovely little ice cream shop uh, on the other side of the Middle Fart Bridge and um, my, my second host dad uh, had a whole heap of uh, motorbikes and, uh, and we'd hop on the back of uh, one of the motorbikes or he had a sidecar as well. Uh, and, mm. uh, and so depending on what it was, uh, we'd, you know, we'd hop, hop on a bike and go down to Middle Fart and, and, you know, have an ice cream and have a bit of a drive around the, the countryside. And look, yeah, look, lovely fond memories of Denmark and, and the people that I met there was just um, spectacular. So And, and so the, how many host families did you have? Three, did you say? Three, yeah, yeah. Right. And they were all sort of in Jutland or were they...? Yeah, all, all, all in that Burkop area. So my, my Rotary Club was the Rotary Club of Burkop. Uh, right. It was only a couple of few thousand people in Burkop. Um, my last host dad was a highway patrol officer. He actually had a, a little farm um, probably about 10 k's out of Burkop. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd come home from school and I'd um, – I'd, I'd go jump on the on the tractor, and he'd say that he wanted one of the one of the fields uh, ploughed, and he taught me how to plough the plough the field, and you know, and, and he was planting Christmas trees, and that was his his little side gig. You know, it was a, a long term sort of thing. You know, you obviously need to get them growing for several years, um, and um, yeah, we had a lovely little farm, we had a little lake down the back that had some carp in it, and. We'd uh, we'd shave the shave the the, the um, barb off the the hooks and put a little bit of flour and sort of dough on the end of them and go and bloody catch catch carp out of the <laughs> out of the lake and um, you know and and as it got colder to in the in the winter towards Christmas um, it uh, the lake froze over and you know like. Being from growing up in Mackay, you know, the only place you see ice is when you open up the freezer. So um, <laughs> I had no idea, like, how much uh, ice needed to form before, you know, you could uh, 
And uh, I don't know how much was there, but I was about two metres from the edge and uh, I heard this almighty crack and uh, I took a, a big dive for the edge uh, and ended up with mud all down me, but I figured that was going to be better than uh, ending up waist deep in uh, ice cold water. <laughs> wow. It's interesting so, you say that, you know, because I was talking to my uh, a really good friend of mine who lives in um, who lives in Canada now, Australian, uh, and he's telling me the number of people that die each year in Canada mm-hmm. because of falling through ice. Look, I, I think mine was probably chest a chest high lake. It was just mm-hmm. uh, a little lake in the backyard, but yeah, I was taking no chances. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. But look, it, it, in in the height of summer, um, you know, it was fully frozen over, and um, and I, and I got told in no uncertain terms to stay off the ice um, because um, just so as not to ruin it. So it kept it stayed um, nice and flat. And then when it uh, froze over properly, um, we we put the ice skates on and, uh, <laughs> and did some ice skating uh, across it, which um, yeah. I was not a good ice skater. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the problem, though, isn't it? I mean, ice skating boots are pretty heavy. And so if you, if you fall through the ice, you've got no chance because you've got to try and get the damn things off. <laughs> look, look, I think uh, the, the, the roller skating discos of the uh, 80s, uh, uh, I was not the greatest roller skater at those discos. Uh, so um, I don't think that I was ever going to have a chance in uh, ice skates uh, you know, growing up in North Queensland. probably wasn't my forte. Pretty difficult right. to pick it and up so, at 16 or 17 anyway, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and so you went to school there? Went to school there. Um, went to uh, um, the gymnasium, I think they they they, which they called it, and uh, it was right on the fjord. Um, so it, the entire one half of the um, the building actually faced directly out um, into the fjord, and uh, there was a bridge that used to um, that would go across the fjord where the the freeway would would, would uh, head north and. I spent a lot of time looking out that window, <laughs> looking at that bridge. And um, I'm no artist whatsoever, but there was uh, there was a lot of doodling uh, of uh, a fjord with uh, a bridge uh, uh, from 1995. But um, you know, it was it was good. Like you know, all all the classes uh, were, were in in Danish, and so you know, uh, to start with, it was very uh, daunting. You didn't really know anything, and you would very much look forward to uh, English class where every word was uh, spoken in English and, and that was until um, our, our, our English teacher who uh, had studied at Oxford uh, and he uh, obviously learned a very different English to what I learned in North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There was one particular argument where he was telling me uh, something and I was adamant that he was wrong um, and, look, uh, not much has changed in my life. But like, <laughs> I, was, I was a little bit stubborn, even, even to my uh, my Danish English teacher. So. <laughs> and the uh, and the and, and the Danish girls found your flavour of the month. No, well, look, it was. Uh, I think everybody, um, to be honest, like it's one of those things that the, the, the Australian accent, and you know, it was just um, the friends that I made were just you know really good, you know, and it was. Um, yeah, like I, I haven't been back, but I, I like you know, I, I, Facebook's been great. You know, being able to reach out to people and, and stay connected with them, and um, you know, some of the the 
relationships that you you formed were were just uh, yeah really good and um, you know I've I've still got my box of uh, Danish memorabilia and I, I moved house just recently and and uh, took a photo of a, a, a letter that one of my friends wrote to me and I sent it back to her on on Facebook and she read had to retranslate it for me uh, when I when I left Denmark I I, I could actually um, I was quite fluent in Danish um, uh, but. Uh, there's only so many things that I can retain in my brain, <laughs> and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a second language uh, is not one of them. So, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I think um, one of the one of the biggest uh, compliments I, I, I had was uh, in Copenhagen Airport, um, and I had my big going away at the Billund uh, Airport, and all my friends, um, friends and family and everything had come out and uh, had seen me off and. You know, Rotary had given us our, our dryer bones, and I had my dryer bone, my Cooper, and someone had taken that stuff off me and, and packed it up and put it into my bag, and uh, and then you know, said my farewells, hopped on the plane, and then got to Copenhagen Airport, and my bags had tre- checked through to Heathrow, and um, my passport was inside my dryer bone uh, pocket, oh, um, and. Um, yeah, then we proceeded to have a big argument uh, uh, as to um, you can't get on the plane uh, without your passport. And I said, well, you can't depart <laughs> with my luggage and not and me not on the plane. Yeah. So we're, a, we're in a stalemate here. And, uh, and, that, and that argument happened in Danish. Um, and um, at some point during the argument, the, the, the gentleman realised that, um, he said, oh, where are you from? Like, where are you going? And I, I said, I'm Australian. I'm heading home. I've been exchange student. And he then chose to change the argument back in, in, into English and uh, I could articulate myself just a little bit better in English and, um, and managed to get my, uh, my, my, my passport off and uh, I was the last person to board the plane <laughs> to Heathrow and I was uh, not a very well-liked person. Yeah, <laughs> But look, it was it was it was good good compliment I think though to to say you know you spent twelve months in a, in a country you, you someone actually thinks that you are Danish you know that right. that, that to me was just um, yeah it meant a lot. That's amazing. Yeah, look, mm-hmm. I've been lucky enough to go to Denmark twice now, and uh, oh, it's just a fantastic place, isn't it? Just it's, it is, yeah, like. Tivoli and uh, you know the, the the castles and the history and the countryside of uh, and and the people you know like we um, we look at Princess Mary you know and you know the Australian princess and um, I can see why you know she fell in love with the the, the Danish prince. Well, he's a prince, you know, like there's just a, something small going through. <laughs> um, but but the, the the Danish sense of humour and the Danish people are just absolutely lovely, and and they are so similar to Australians with our laid back attitude and uh, and and the sense of humour, always wanting to have a laugh and um, have a have a bit of a drink and uh, you know eat eat too much. Um, you know, it's a it's a recipe for, for good times and, you know, potentially fits in well with our territory lifestyle as well. Did you ever get used to the pickled herring? 
No. <laughs> yes. No. No. Look, one of one of the uh, you know, I, I've got a bit of a sweet tooth. One of the, the the craziest things that we would have, we would have because um, they've obviously got proper bakeries in Denmark, right? So you, you get uh, sourdough, and you, it's you're always cutting your own sourdough as well. So big piece of nice fresh sourdough, lather on the butter, lather on the Nutella, and they've got these uh, hard flakes of chocolate that you then put on top of the Nutella and break into that. It's like that was, you know, that was afternoon tea. So um, I think I, I put on many kilos uh, from Danish bakeries uh, that year. Um, but, you know, when in right. So then back on it, back to Earth, uh, coming back to Australia, and, and, and then where did life take you after that? Yeah, so I, I was doing my IT degree in uh, in Brisbane and um, uh, got a, got a job uh, with my my stepmum, just you know, in a food court, uh, you know, just washing dishes and doing that sort of stuff. And then a job came up in the Brisbane CBD um, uh, at McDonald's again. And um, in fact, no, I, I went to a little place at Stones Corner. Do you remember Stones Corner? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, yeah, there was a little a little Macca's in uh, in Stones Corner, which uh, uh, we served about three customers a day, uh, and uh, I didn't last there very long. I, I transferred into the city, and and I um, I stayed in the city um, uh, for about eight years um, then, and um, worked my way up through through management at. Um, at McDonald's, and um, after a couple of years, I, I, I gave up the um, my IT degree and, and focused on uh, my management career, and um, moved to various stores around the uh, the CBD uh, in Brisbane, and um, met some just absolutely amazing people um, uh, along the journey. And you know, I um, you know one one of my really good mates who was uh, um, Cameron was. Um, Hundred meters away at one of the other stores. He's now, you know, managing director of uh, Domino's in uh, New Zealand. Um, you know, our, our Queensland accountant was uh, Mark Hawthorne, who went on to become the CEO of um, Guzman and Gomez. Um, you know, our, our training consultant uh, McDonald's at the time, um, Chris Churchmine. He he's now, I think, running Subway for Australia. Um, so like some of the people that I, I worked with um, back there. Um, have had much better careers than me. But, um, you know, it was um, it was a joy working for those sorts of people. You know, they they really put their heart and soul into their job. We um, we had fun going to work each day, and, and and it sort of it really set me up for what I would consider to be my management style. You know, moving forward, that I you know having fun in the workplace. If you can do something that you enjoy, um, you know, how, how good is it to be able to go to work and you know, have a proper smile on your face, you know, and really enjoy what you're doing. And, um, you know, it was that time in Brisbane CBD where that sort of, um, I, I learned those lessons, you know, and, um, uh, and then, yeah, 2004, I, I had an opportunity. Um, my, my boss had tried to get me a job um, up in Darwin uh, in late 2003 and I was like, no, no, things are, things are going good here and, you know, the roller coaster of ups and downs of McDonald's life uh, six months later, uh, I was on a bit of a down and he uh, put me in touch with Charlotte Dyer who um, was the licensee in Alice Springs and I said, look, you know, I'm ready for a change. I want something different. So I said, look, I'll go out to Alice and this is in uh, March 2004 and uh, I'll go, yeah, I'll go out for three three to six months, you know, that'll 
you know, I'll, I'll definitely commit to three months and, and you know, Charlotte would pay my way uh, back if I stayed for three months or she would pay for um, my way uh, over and back if I stayed for six months. So I thought, well, you know, bit of a bit of a gambling man. I, I like those odds, you know. Um, and I think I was two weeks into the gig and um, we uh, uh, went and sat in uh, what's now Piccolo's but Oscar's, uh, Oscar's Cafe there. Um, it, Top end of the mall in in Alice and um, and and Charlotte said after just two weeks she said look um, you know we want you to stay on permanently you know you know she's uh, really get along getting along well with you and you know I think you're a good fit here and um, and yeah so they offered me a permanent job and um, I, I I became part of um, the Dyer family you know and um, for the next three years, um, you know, uh, birthdays and Christmas and things like that um, in, in Alice Springs. Um, you know, I was, I was part of um, Charlotte and Tony's family and um, and it was a, a really, really good time and it was a, a great experience to be welcomed to the Territory with, um, for, with people like um, Charlotte and Tony. Right. So, hmm. And so uh, Alice Springs uh, took you in and how long were you there for? So I did three, just over three years the, the first time and uh, my, my backdrop here is uh, in Alice Springs Golf Club and so I drove into town on the Friday and the following Wednesday um, uh, had the day off work and it ended up that I was having every Wednesday off work. Uh, it was my roster day off and um, I found out about this thing called WAGS uh, and uh, I, I, you know, they put me down in this group uh, in, uh, in WAGS competition which is the wednesday afternoon golfing society uh, <laughs> and um we used to we used to get about 80 to 100 people um playing golf every every wednesday afternoon and um i got put in this group with um a uh, couple of people uh that you may know um uh murray nick was uh one of them uh murray preston uh another one um and uh john mcmahon um who uh, was was the third person and john um uh, was a long-term sort of bureaucrat and worked in government and stuff in in, in alice springs and um <laughs> a typical <and> wag <laughs> he was he was uh and um you know and cantankerous old bastard too he was but uh you know he uh, and then um and murray neck i absolutely love murray neck to bits but uh my goodness, was he a crap golfer? <laughs> <laughs> but he's good at selling uh, electrical appliances, though. Yeah, so like he hadn't opened. Uh, I think right around that time, where Harvey Norman is now, they were just as I moved to town. They they were just moving into that site um, that they built, um, and you know, Murray Neck uh, Music World was. Um, still running uh, in in the plaza, um, you know, and um, Murray was very much, you know, still involved in the business um, day to day. And um, wasn't too many years later that I met um, uh, Chris and Greg. Um, um, but you know, to, to those first few years, it was um, it was just um, you know, I, I knew Murray. You know, it was Murray, Murray, and John every Wednesday afternoon for about two years, and um, you know, we teed off at three thirty five without fail and. We'd go inside and have our rum and cokes at the at the bar, and 
Um, you know, God forbid if anyone got uh, the coke poured out of a post mix for John. Got <laughs> 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 to come out of a bottle, young fella. I mean, we weren't allowed to take his glass away. You had to pour this. Five cents worth of rum left in that. <laughs> He'd pour his rum from, from one end to the other. And, I, I, you know, it's a habit I still do to this day. But uh, just because I'm a bit of a shit stirrer, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd make sure that they absolutely gave him post mix coke. And, <laughs> And the rest of us three would get uh, a nice bottled Coke. <laughs> but yeah, like that was, um, you know, and, and, and again, uh, and, and, and it's been something that's been familiar with me uh, for a long time that my friends have become my family uh, in, in the Northern Territory and, um, you know, people like Murray, you know, who he, he Neck welcomed me in, and I found myself amongst the, the entire Neck family at uh, I think it was his seventy fifth um, birthday, and you know, didn't know anybody else sitting at the table, but uh, you know, because you were part of his golfing group, then you know, you you were part of his family, and um, and that that continued with uh, a heap of people that I. You know, just you know, down in, in Alice just a couple of weeks uh, ago, and you know, the people that I met, um, you know, over what was that, sixteen, going on seventeen years ago, um, who are still there in Alice, and you know, you, you still see them, and you greet them as though you know, you, you know, you just saw them just yesterday, even though it might have been years in between seeing them, and um, the Alice Springs Golf Club family to me has been um, fantastic, and um, you know, it was a Good first three years in, in Alice. I, um, you know, I, I worked pretty much every weekend, and um, um, but it didn't stop me. I'd, I'd do the night shift, but I'd, I'd be first on the tee block on a uh, on a Saturday morning, and I'd play my golf, I'd go home, have a nap, and then I'd go into work. I'd work to oh anything one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, whatever it might have been, listening to DJ Dan on Sun FM as he was uh, broadcasting out of Bojangles and. Uh, <laughs> Listening to all the the yahooing going on down there, and meanwhile you're you know cleaning up after a long day at work, and um, and then the next day I'd, I'd get up and I'd be first on the tee block again, and uh, you know do do another eighteen holes on a on a on a Sunday morning. So you know it was normal pretty much every week to you know forty five holes of golf a week, and you know the handicap eventually tamed down a little bit. I, I think I got down about um, fifteen or, or so. I think. Um, uh, in that uh, that time there, and um, yeah, and, and and it was, you know, I know it might be fast forwarding a bit, but it, it, when I eventually did make the decision to move back to Alice Springs again, um, the the golf club was, you know, one of the main reasons why um, I thought, <laughs> you know, I, I could do this again, just because you know I've got so many friends or family um, that I've already got there, you know, and it's just so easy to go back in and slot back into your old ways, and um, and yeah, it's. Um, you know, those people mean a lot to me, which has um, been good over the years. So what year did you actually go to Alice? Uh, 04, 2004, and right. um, in 2007, um, uh, Charlotte's daughter, Elisa, um, came back into the business after she graduated from uni and um, it was probably just a bit much. I, I, for me, I, I was used to having that autonomy, um, mm. running her business for her, and we went to a sort of a three-way sort of uh uh, leadership approach, which um, I, it just didn't sit too well with me, and um, so I, 
we 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 did our cafe uh, upgrade. We'd, we'd done that successfully. Uh, I'd um, negotiated uh, to bring in some uh, some managers from the Philippines on some four five seven visas, which uh, was going to help us uh, get through some of our management recruiting. Um, Lisa was doing the people management, so I felt at the time in two thousand seven that I was ready. Um, to do something else, and then I could that I could leave, and you know, and I felt as though I'd accomplished something at the store, and you know, people would see you around town, and they would recognise you as the guy from Macca's, and um, and you know, they would see you, and and they'd see you in a good light, and you know, it was it was it meant a lot to me to be able to you know, you run into people at the supermarket, and you know, they don't want to stab you, they 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 give you a, <laughs> they give you a nice Say good day, how are you going? And you know, of course, got no idea who they are, but they um, uh, they know you from uh, from Macca's. So um, yeah, it was it was good times. So you, you went for three months. You stayed for three years, and yep. uh, and then where did you go to? I I did a short stint uh, working for Bunnings uh, over in Rockhampton, uh, and 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 took that gig thinking that it was. Um, just down the road from um, my mum was in Rocky at the, in Mackay at the time. My um, my granddad, her, her mum, her dad had moved to um, uh, Mackay at the time. My sister and the kids were there, so I thought, you know, three hundred k's down the road, it's not far, so I can I can do that. And um, and about oh, five months after moving there, um, uh, my granddad uh, passed away, and. Um, and it was he was my last surviving grandparent, and you know it was sort of good to be over there and be back with family um, for a bit. Um, and then you know I, I, my old boss from many years earlier, who had actually organised to get me to Alice Springs, he was actually up here in Darwin working um, and managing the, the McDonald's stores for Chris and Marcel Horn. And he rang me um, in early two thousand and eight, and said, you know. Uh, I know I asked you last year. You know you didn't want to move from Alice Springs to Darwin, but you know, do you want to come to come to Darwin and, and run one of the stores for me? And sort of negotiated for a little bit and said, you know, can you find me some accommodation? Because little little did I know, I thought accommodation was hard to find in Darwin back in two thousand and eight. But you know, fast forward thirteen years, <laughs> 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 and we've come full circle. So, um, <laughs> but look, I, they found me a place uh, out out in Gun, and uh, I said, all right, no worries. So, I packed up my life and uh, and um, bought bought my little dog, and me and the, me and Jack Jack jumped in the car and drove to Darwin, and um, and yeah, I, I was running McDonald's up Lud Miller, and. Mm. Um, Working for Chris and Marcel Horn, and um, and, and the, the one thing I'd say is that um, out of the the bosses that I've had with um, Charlotte and Tony Dyer and Chris and Marcel Horn, um, you know, in my opinion, were really good um, McDonald's licensees and just bloody lovely people. You know, they they ran good businesses and they looked after their people well. Um, they treated me well. Uh, I, I would do my best to make their money and. Uh, and and Chris like would just say straight up to us, you know, you make me money and I'm going to make you money. And um, you know, to have a boss that uh, has that sort of attitude was um, was really fantastic. It made you um, you know think about you know putting the effort in. So um, and then yeah, we um, uh, Chris got an opportunity to open up the store at Stuart Park, and um, so I, I got put uh, put in charge of that uh, task of. Um, 
you know, looking after the store during the construction phase and um, setting the store up from scratch and uh, hiring all of the, um, the the managers and 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 staff and you know, so I think I started off with about nine managers and 105 staff, I think, um, on opening day. And um, so that was, like, for me, was probably one of the highlights of my McDonald's career, being able to open up a brand-new store and, you know, dual-line drive-throughs back in 2010 were, were were not a thing. And, you know, I'm trying to explain to the team, like, how they, how they work and all this sort of things. And, yeah, it was... Um, it was a really good experience, and uh, and, I'm, and I'm grateful to Chris um, and Marcy for giving me an opportunity to do it. But um, yeah, then they they moved on though. They sold up their stores, um, and um, and while I was working for them, I had an opportunity to to meet Karen Sheldon, and I um, I was running Chris's um, Indigenous employment program across the four stores. Um, so we we were Darwin City. Stuart Park, Ludmilla and Kadrina. And Chris had this vision that um, because Ludmilla uh, McDonald's was um, on um, Indigenous land uh, and, we, you know, we had Bagot community on one side, Minmarama on another side, and um, Indigenous people were our, 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 our customers. They came in regularly. Uh, Chris really wanted to give back. And um, so I, I, Karen Sheldon got bought in and we interacted with Karen to run an Indigenous employment program. At one point at Ladmilla, we had uh, a quarter of our staff were uh, Indigenous uh, and um, we uh, we introduced a mentoring program, which Karen still uses um, um, parts of that to this day. And, um, uh, you know, Karen and Stevie Wee were just uh, fabulous people. And um, I, I also noticed that you had Sarah Hickey as uh, one of your previous uh, territory stories and, uh, and and the girls like Julie, Julie Calvert and uh, Amanda Swift like and uh, and Karen like the four girls were just uh, absolutely amazing um, for what they were doing for Indigenous people through their Karen's training arm um, you know the catering arm is what everybody knows her for but um, that relationship that I built with Karen um, through that then um, actually gave me a stepping stone as I left uh, McDonald's that um, Karen said, you know, if you ever want to come and, you know, do some work, you know, just let me know. And so I rang Karen and said, oh, Karen, I've, I've been made redundant. job. <laughs> 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 Can you help me out? So um, I went from, uh, you know, from managing, uh, I was briefly managing two sites. I was managing uh, Casuarina and Stuart Park, so 20 20 managers and 200 staff to uh, to driving the uh, the Karen Sheldon catering van around, and I was you know, <laughs> delivering catering uh, things and you know, getting getting lost in uh, CBD buildings trying to find uh, room <laughs> catering like sandwiches and Karen Sheldon sausage rolls off to people. So, um, but yeah, we, I then sort of transitioned into um, being the business manager for, for Karen, and um, my role there was to interact with um, companies um, and uh, Twiggy. Forest had um, uh, what was the um, thing that Twiggy had the his uh, Indigenous Employment Covenant, um, which I think then moved on to Territory um, Generation One or something like that, where he's bringing um, you know corporate Australia into um, to to have. Um, quotas and, and things for, for recruiting um, Indigenous people and, and having Indigenous employment programs and having like set structures and things 
uh, in place. And so Karen worked um, closely with Jacqueline Lani, who was in with um, Twiggy, and um, and we got things set up quite well uh, back then. Uh, and um, my job was then to go out and meet with these corporate businesses and review their um, Indigenous, uh, their, their, their recruitment strategies, uh, review their um, onboarding, review their training, um, and... Um, give advice to them of, uh, of basically where, uh, what changes that they needed to make um, in, in their businesses that um, the corporate world um, doesn't work in the same way that the Indigenous world um, was working. And um, the information I learnt from my time at McDonald's was actually part of what uh, got me, you know, I, I, I got that knowledge, you know, from... Um, you know, people to not coming into work, and when you're asking the five whys to get the the root cause, and 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 realizing that they didn't come into work because we had drilled into them that they needed to come to work with, uh, you know, two a pair of black socks and and a pair of black shoes, and they could only find one black sock or one black shoe, and so um, you know these people weren't coming to work. And we realised we actually caused the situation and, you know, we drilled into them and, you know, why, and then, you know, why was it not there? Well, there might have been, you know, 10 people in the household, someone someone else had picked up the, the, the shoe or the sock and, and had taken that shoe or sock away uh, for them to wear because they could only find one of theirs. And, um, and so drilling down and trying to find those root causes, um, you know, was was part of the mentoring problem, uh, mentoring um, um, issue of, of, of what the mentors would work through with the um, uh, with the people going through Karen's program. Um, but from a business perspective, my job was to prepare the companies and, um, you know, I, I would sit through induction processes and, and write notes and just say, you know, you can't do this, you can't, you can't say that, you can't say that, you can't say that, you know, and it, and it was all based on um, common sense and experience you know it wasn't I didn't do a course I didn't do anything I, I just you know connected with the people that I met along my journey and uh, and put common sense into practice and yeah it was uh, so I respect Karen Sheldon immensely you know she's built up a, a, a wonderful business her, her brand in the Northern Territory is just spectacular and um, you know she, and I, I really do um, believe she's running an amazing program Hmm. Hey, Brad, um, how prepared or underprepared were those businesses that you were dealing with uh, uh, to sort of engage the way that they should have been? And, you know, what, what level of knowledge did they have, did you discover? Oh, it was, it was not good at all, to be honest. Mm. Um, I, I, um, my, um, my future boss, um, I, um, Michael Borg, was um, the state manager for Coles uh, at the time and, and pretty much, um, you know, Coles had committed at a national level to, to jump on board with it and, you know, Coles, um, Coles could be ruthless at times, with, you know, with their expectations and things and, um, you know, there was, it, it was very much uh, a black and white matter and, uh, and I, I credit my, um, Charlotte um, from my time at McDonald's in Alice Springs of, of um telling me and teaching me that there's so many varied shades of shades of gray that things aren't black and white and um and corporate the corporate world um works on black and white and um and the um we, we were dealing with stream four um students um from the um the, the sort of centrelink um Things so you're talking about people who've been long term unemployed, so unemployed for at least eighteen months, um, and 
you know, you couldn't um, rule with an iron fist with these people. You, you, you know, you need to be softly, softly. You need to understand where they're coming from. And I think we're probably lucky that because corporate Australia had dictated to managers like um, Michael um, as to, uh, hey, you, you need to do this. This is part of your KPIs moving forward. Um, that they sort of did take it on board, and they were very open to it. Um, you know, back in the day, it was Holiday Inn on the on the Esplanade, um, and um, you know, I sat in with the IHG group uh, in there, and um, same thing. They were really open to um, making changes in their business um, to, to to bring people on board, uh, and uh, and it was. It was comforting, you know, to, to know that people were willing to um, to to do their part, and that there was some sort of uh, social responsibility that um, that had a cost. Um, but um, you know, and that that was what Twiggy Forest's uh, whole idea was in the, in the beginning was that uh, you know uh, corporate Australia is making money. Like, how about we put a little bit of money back, and we can't rely on the government mm. to do everything all the time. And you know, a bit of a, a socialist attitude for Twiggy for for that uh, those few minutes, but uh, you know, for that moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember when um, Ludmilla McDonald's uh, made their changes and uh, you know created their program. Um, how would you rate the success of it? Because I, I remember I remember sort of seeing it firsthand and thinking, "Well, this is great." This is interesting. We'll see how this turns out. But, you know, as you said, understanding the mentality and the, the way of thinking can be half the battle sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And, and one of the um, interesting things in Karen's uh, training program was that she would actually take the students back out uh, and do visits uh, to the store. And so she bought this um, group of uh, 20 people through this, uh, through Ludmiller and, uh, and I'd messaged Karen in the morning. I said, Karen, just please don't come today. Like, can we just, today of all days, like, it's just terrible. And she's like, no, it's all booked. The vans are coming. They're coming. We're doing it. You know, just, you know, you'll be right. Harden up. And then she turned up, and um, and I'd had something stupid like nine people not turn up to work that day, <laughs> and, and my goodness, the people who uh, I then had to go out. I remember we we're out in the balcony, and uh, they were giving me the feedback of uh, our quality service cleanliness uh, and value, and, and letting me letting me know exactly what it was like. Uh, to, to be a customer in my store that day, and uh, and I got absolutely torn to shreds by these lovely uh, uh, young students. Uh, and thankfully, um, Karen, the way that she she you know handles herself so well, and uh, really then drilled home the message to say, you know, today's experience was only because people did turn up to work. And this is what happens, you know, that there's a there's a flow on from your actions and if you don't turn up to work, you know, and that they weren't nine Indigenous people that hadn't turned up to work, but maybe they were four, but, um, you know, we it was um, just nine people in general. It was just a day from hell, you know. It's one of those yeah. days I remember. So, um, yeah, look, it was, it was definitely a challenge. It was, you know, you had to work at it constantly. Um, you know, there's always uh, issues going on in people's lives, and that's where Karen's mentoring program um, really uh, came in and, and, and make a, made a difference. And um, I think we had some success. 
Um, I, I, I wouldn't call it an, an overwhelming success that, you know, we didn't get people progressing to management. We didn't have people stay, you know, super long term. Um, but did we make a difference in some people's lives for a short period of time? And um, did we teach them some lessons that, um, you know, <clears throat> maybe I learned, you know, back in my days when I was a 15-year-old starting McDonald's and, you know, it sets you up for, for f- the, the future. And, um, you know, I, I hope that that's part of what we did teach them and, um, you know, who knows what they have gone on to, to since then. And uh, does it still exist, a program like that? No, I, look, I don't think so. Um, <clears throat> the, the program itself um, with Karen um, exists in some sort of form. Um, mm. I haven't caught up with Karen for a little while, but it's definitely progressed um, over the years as, um, you know, the, the federal government funding um, sort of models have changed and, we, you know, we went from DWA to um, whatever we've gone to now, DEET or something, I think so. As those sort of things have changed and as they, uh, I think they were trying to um, consolidate the, the providers and things, um, you know, Karen's tried to do what she can to, to make sure, you know, she's given back to the Indigenous community because she feels as though the um, you know, Indigenous community has helped um, um, Karen to be where she is today as a businesswoman in the Northern Territory. Um, and so she does mm-hmm. what she can to, um, you know, to, to further educate um uh, Indigenous people, and um, it, it's, she's definitely still running programs. I think she's got one running in Tennant Creek, um, and I think there's also one um, running up here as well in in, in Darwin. So, um, yeah, it's uh, as far as McDonald's concerned, I, I don't think so. Um, uh, is there capacity to? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, after Karen Sheldon, you what you headed back to Alice Springs, did you? Yeah, I, um, I I got a job with um, with Coke. So um, my my best mate's um, wife Beck was working for Coke, and uh, she's like, "Oh, Coke's a great company um, to work for." And um, and I thought, "Oh, you know, I'd work for one big uh, Euro- uh, American uh, multinational corporation. Why not move to another one?" And uh, got myself a, a job as a, a local sales rep um, up here, and got queried that um, you know. Are you sure this is the job that you want? And at the time, I was like, "Yeah, I'm happy to, you know, work my way from the bottom up again, and um, and and you know, get out there on the ground and, and and do my repping." And and I loved it, you know. I just I loved getting out there and interacting with the customers and um, and meeting some real characters. Um, I, I won't say the name of the business, um, but uh, the, uh, there's a, a local, long-term local Darwin business, and 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 they had a bad relationship with Coca-Cola from when Amateur bought uh, 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 the Coke uh, bottling part off um, Parmalat, off, off Paul's, uh, you know, because Coke was made over in uh, Bishop Street, and um, I got told in no uncertain terms that um, when you break mirror. Mirror breaks into many pieces. When you fix mirror, <laughs> mirror's still broken. <laughs> okay. And it was uh, it, it was a lesson that I uh, I've taken with me and 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 have understood it. So it's actually a, an amazing lesson. That that customer is actually uh, a Coke customer again uh, now. They uh, they went away for Coke from for several years, but uh, they are a customer again. And and it taught me in sales that. Um, uh, you know, you, you, even when you lose a customer, they, they're still a customer. And if you stay close to them and uh, uh, every day that they're not your customer, you're working towards the day that they will be your customer again. And um, 
and you know, um, I, I thankfully didn't have too many opportunities to lose customers uh, in in my career, but um, I did a couple of years repping up here, learning the ropes on on um, the immediate consumption side of things. Um, I was uh, doing some relief work. I you know, was working in petroleum and 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 some of the licensed venues and supermarkets and had a, a, enough of an understanding uh, of the, the the Coke broader Coke business that uh, position came up to um, manage the um, three reps uh, based in Alice Springs. Uh, and so in in 2013, I um, packed things up and. Jack, Jack, and I headed from Darwin back to uh, back to Alice Springs, and um, and uh, you know walked back into the Alice Springs Golf Club to the, the nice family uh, that I'd missed for the, the five or six years since uh, since I was gone. And um, and look, as a you know a, when I would go to Woolworths previously, I said you know oh you're the Maccas guy and everything like that. Um, it got to the point that um, I, I was known as a Coke man uh, in in Alice Springs. And oh. I, I understand this week. Got to be careful with that nickname. This, yeah, <laughs> it's a very interesting week in territory politics to to be uh, uh, flouting that name. But, um, That's uh, right. And, uh, and I did make a gaffe my very, very last night in Alice Springs. Uh, we had the Chamber of Commerce um, uh, Customer Service Awards uh, cut in 2019 and uh, I was I was at the mic handing out a, a prize to someone and, and, and someone said, I oh, don't drink too much. And I said, no, it's all good. I'm on Coke tonight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's wasn't handy. Probably, wasn't, yeah, I was driving to Darwin the next day and it probably wasn't the relevation to, to make to um, all of Alice Springs' uh, business community. But um, <laughs> it was, uh, put some smiles on a few people's faces for a little bit. But, um, yeah. So, look, but look, I, I did um, uh, about five years with Coke uh, down there and um, I really consider myself lucky that I got to see some sensational places uh, in, in not only in Central Australia but um, towards the end uh, I was uh, also looking after uh, Catherine and Kununurra as well, which uh, was just ridiculous from a logistical point of view, but um, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what they had me do. And You had the Coke um, chopper, did you? <laughs> mate, yeah. Uh, one of my predecessors unfortunately passed away uh, last year, um, but uh, he actually reached out to me about three years ago, or just before I left, I think it would be. So, yeah, about three years ago. And he said, um, oh, I just really wanted to meet the current Coke um, manager. And so I actually went round to his house and, and, and sat down with him and he told me what it was like um, being uh, with Coke back in the early 80s and 70s and, and stuff and uh and they literally would fly places yeah. so he he actually got his he got a a, a pilot's license so that he could <laughs> um he could fly the plane and um meanwhile we sit in the in, in the prado doing 109 um yeah. only 109 that's right <laughs> uh going down uh, you know dirt roads and um there's no greater feeling than a freshly graded dirt road. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but like you know, we 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 that our territory went to Kiwakara uh, in in the west, out um, past Kintore. Um, we went to um, uh, I won't 
pronounce the name because I'm not very good at it, but Lake Nash in the in the north uh, east uh, originally, but then, uh, you know, that extended out to Groot Island and Gove and, you know, then eventually, you know, when I had Kananara, like, you know, out to Columbaroo and Turkey Flats, you know, and, and down to Udnadatta in the southeast and and out to um, uh, all through the APY lands um, uh, uh, in, in South Australia. So it was it was quite challenging uh, as a manager to, to, to manage such a, a vast um geographical area um mm. small team of five but um you know it could be uh it could be weeks between seeing or months even between seeing my reps um so you know having that uh, not having that face-to-face contact was, was definitely a challenge uh to to manage your, your team and um it was um but it was just a great time like some of the you know, if you haven't had an opportunity to get into the APY lands, I don't know how you how you get down there as a as a, a normal um, um, you know Australian because it's uh, some restrictions and stuff. But the countryside down there is just spectacular, you know. And you, you look at the the rains that Central Australia's had just recently, and the the, the places around um, uh, Hask Bluff and um, the the Think River out through um, uh, the the you know, Western Max and, and things like the, um, you know, driving driving in dry riverbeds, which at the moment's probably got about two two metres of water uh, in it, um, which is unheard of. But, yeah, you know, policeman's waterhole out uh, in the middle of, uh, you know, out from Tennant Creek, 100 k's away from Tennant Creek or more, um, you know, it was... Uh, um, it popped up on my Facebook memories, and you know, would, would, um, stripping down of the boxes at the end of a, a work day, we still had a hundred k's to go back to Devil's Marbles Hotel for the night. And said to Boxy, "I was like, Boxy, I'm going for a swim," and uh, jumped into the policeman's waterhole, which was just absolutely spectacular. And you think I'm being paid to go and see parts of the Northern Territory that I guarantee I would never, ever, ever have gotten to. Um, and I, I really do consider myself lucky to have, um, um, you know, had that opportunity to to meet so many uh, amazing people on the journey and and see some amazing faces uh, along the way. So um, you, you continued on the, that that uh, thread, but uh, you, you spent a little bit of time in Monty's Lounge before becoming sales manager at News Corp. Yeah, I thought that um, too. Um, you know. American multinationals probably wasn't enough in my life, but uh, <laughs> you know I wanted to get the trifecta. And um, and uh, Greg Thompson, uh, I saw you interviewed not too long ago as well, um, who's a, a, a great territory and absolutely fantastic territory. I love Greg um, a, a lot. He's a, a really good boss, um, and he took me on as a sales manager down there, and that was um, a big learning curve. You know, jumping into um, what uh, is a bit of a dying breed, the the newspaper, and 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 to the point that it literally did die uh, at the Advocate, um, mm. and um, you know the transition into digital advertising um, and learning uh, how much that uh, Google and Facebook and whatever are, are stalking our every move um, was uh, was eye opening for me when I when I realised what, what they what they were doing. Then I then I got over it and I don't care. And, <laughs> Just think it's my my lazy way of shopping. That you know, if I'm if I'm looking for a new suitcase or something like that, I just need to say suitcase ten times, and <laughs> the next one is going to turn up in my uh, in my Facebook feed. So exactly um, right. Yeah. So, so 
Yeah, well, so the, the transition to there, I can see where you're going here. I think you, you're wanting to get into this politics thing, I think. Oh, I certainly do. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so there's a lovely lady in Alice Springs called Jacinta Price. Sure. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, I'd never met Jacinta, um, but um, I was a little bit selfish and thought um, with the federal election coming up, um, there was a, a sales opportunity here and uh, and thinking, um, you know, that, that digital advertising was a way of, um, you know, getting Jacinta's message out uh, to places of Lingiari that she couldn't get. So um, so that was actually my first uh, opportunity to meet um, Jacinta was through a, um, you know, from a sales point of view. Uh, and Jacinta and I, um, well, she might tell you a different story. I think we hit it off uh, quite well um, from the very beginning um, and, I was uh, doing what I could um, behind the scenes to to help Jacinta uh, with her campaign to um, um, just you know, add in a little bit of value here and there. Um, obviously, as the sales manager, uh, the advocate, I um, you know needed to be wary as to where you sort of put your head out and you know who's uh, what side of politics you were sort of supporting and not supporting but um you know soon after that i, I joined the, the the alice springs um clp branch um you know i'd, I'd met um dave and dave and bess and and in my time at monty's i i'd met dave and bess numerous times and i i, I only ever convinced them to stay for our uh, thursday night trivia uh once in uh i think i did trivia for about two years uh, at monty's on a thursday night and uh yeah i only ever convinced them to stay once but i i'd you know spoken to them a bit over the years and and quite liked them and then you know we had some very deep and meaningful conversations uh, as you do in the political world and um you know stayed with jacinta up until election day and and um you know she did really well in uh the the suburban areas of lingiari and uh unfortunately didn't um didn't get over the line with a, a poor showing out bush. Um, but it was uh, during that time, though, that I'd actually met um, Sam McMahon, who, um, you know, out of the blue got um, pre-selected with um, Nigel Scullion sort of uh, at the last minute um, announcing his retirement and a heap of hands going in the air to, to see who was going to take what was considered a, a guaranteed job. Uh, and... Um, yeah, and no, I so I met Sam during the the campaign, and um, uh, and you know took her around town when she was in town. We'd catch up with her and stuff. And um, then it was uh, Alice Springs Show Day, twenty nineteen, and uh, I was out manning, helping man the booth, cooking bacon and eggs. I think I was at uh, the CLP booth at the Alice Springs Show, and um, and Sam said um, I saw Sam, and she sent me a text message saying, oh come to the Alice Springs Brewery, you know, come down for a beer in the afternoon. And I said, oh, geez, if the senator's going to ask me to come for a beer at the brewery, who am I to, you know, knock her back? And um, went down there and she um, she offered me a job as her media advisor, which um, after a couple of weeks of, uh, of sort of careful thought as to, you know, what, what the opportunity was and where it was going to take me, um, then made the big call because I'd said for a long time that I wasn't going to move back to Darwin. I, I, I love Darwin. I definitely, definitely, definitely love Darwin. I hate the weather. <laughs> you, would think, you would think growing up in uh, Mackay, you know, and spending all this time in, in, in the tropics, I'd be used to humidity, but I just, I'm just not. So, um, yeah, so look, I, I yeah, made, made the move in uh, August 19 um, uh, up 
up here and um, and started working for Sam. And it was, you know, it was a challenging role. Uh, unfortunately, um, Nigel's office, uh, no one stayed on for Nigel's office. There was no real groundwork for us. So we were kind of flying blind a bit and setting up Sam's office um, from, from scratch. And um, we had uh, lovely Helen Bateman. I love Helen Bateman's bits. Uh, she uh, had spent many years in political offices, including with um, Dave Tolner, when Dave was both a federal and uh, NT politician. And uh, so you could say that uh, she has uh, weathered uh, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and she's a very strong-willed person. And, and, and uh, Helen and I would find ourselves just alone in our in our office up here at Tingley but, um, with um, Sam off, off travelling at times. And, uh, and, and Helen and I would uh, have some great stories uh, to hear <laughs> of uh, Dave's... Uh, how he used to run his offices and stuff, but um, yeah, look, it was um, it was it was good times, you know. It was uh, I I enjoyed what I was doing. I, I enjoyed uh, interacting uh, with the coalition on a federal level. Um, I considered it an, an honour to um, do my little bit to represent the Northern Territory in uh, when you know walking the halls of Parliament House. It's a it's just a, a an absolute honour, and um, you know there's a being controversial again, like there's you know the, the news uh, this week um, of, of of things happening in in Parliament House down there that um, you know, people probably take that uh, honour and responsibility too far, and um, and I can absolutely resonate with um, some of the feelings, and uh, and I actually you know, I don't want to get too political, but I, um, I I am very keen to see the outcome of this uh, inquiry that. Uh, uh, Scomo's announced today because um, there there is definitely work to be done um, to fix the the work culture um, in uh, federal politics, uh, and uh, I uh, haven't been overly vocal uh, about it in my time, um, and uh, you know I don't want to make too much of a big deal about it, but. Um, I think that uh, you know the, the MOPS Act, especially, um, does not protect workers' rights, and um, the workers in a in a federal um, political office are the ones that have got the ability to to, to keep their boss looking good. Uh, it's always about the boss, uh, and if you don't do your job, you're the one that takes the fall. Um, but if you do your job, your your boss, um, you know, um, just skates on through. Uh, and you know you make them look as good as you possibly can by making sure that they're prepared. They've got the information, the knowledge, and everything to be there. And um, to hear that, uh, you know, that you know, and to know personally that the MOPS Act doesn't protect people um, in those offices. Um, it's it's just it's disappointing that um, some people uh, are a bit of a, a, a rag doll and get thrown to the side in that political world. Um, I'm sure that'll. Uh, ruffle some feathers for for those listening to your po- podcast, but uh, I'm never one to shy away from ruffling feathers. Are the issues on both sides, Brad? Absolutely, yeah, mm. absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think um, there's the there is a bit of an underlying um, thought of um, do whatever it takes. Um, you know, winning an election and winning winning votes and being in government, being in power is is the most important thing, um, and you know, I'm a bit of a salesperson, you know, and I always considered that my job as a media advisor was selling my boss and, and my boss was my product and I needed to know everything about my boss to, you know, to put that forward to our potential customers. Um, but when I sell things, I, 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 I 
I've still got my morals and values um, to me, and I'm, and I'm not willing to un- undersell or or to get rid of them um, to get the end outcome. And uh, and to be brutally honest, I think that a lot of politicians just need to actually um, suck it up and. If they say the truth a bit more often and if they, they come out and answer the questions and they just connect with the people just a little bit more, there's the connection that's lost and people are so um, adamant on getting that end uh, result of, of winning the election as opposed to what your your job first and foremost is um, is uh, representing the your constituents and, um you know the 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 interesting part out of that would probably be um, uh, Terry Mills. You know, and and um, Terry potentially would still be um, the member for Blaine uh, if he spent more time um, uh, representing the the constituents of Blaine. Um, and it's it's a little bit ironic that um, you know that's that's the most important thing as an elected official um, and. I think you can also be a good boss at the same time. And as I said before, like I've worked for some pretty good bosses, you know, Karen Sheldon, Greg Thompson, um, Chris and Marcel and Charlotte and Tony, like have just been some of the best, absolute best bosses um, in the Northern Territory. Um, and I think that you can get the outcome whilst uh, being a good person and true to your values and looking after the people around you and having a, a fun environment as well. You know, like it's, it, you can have fun. You know, you, um, some of the places you get to um, see and go to as a, in political offices uh, uh, are, are just as, as good and, um, you know, they might be paying for you to get there, but, uh, you um, you know, you can, there's, there's nothing wrong with having fun along the way. So, so why uh, only a year with um, Sam? How controversial do I want to Oh, Leon. <laughs> I just ask the questions that just come into my head. I don't have yeah. any hidden agenda at all. Uh, look, I, I, I'm not going to go into it. There, you know, there were, there were, there were, there were issues. There were issues in the office which uh, have been reported um, uh, publicly in the in the news and stuff, and um, they. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't an amazing time of my life, and uh, and unfortunately for me, uh, like I look back on 2020, and 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 I think that 2020 uh, was challenging for many people for many different reasons, and I um, I found 2020 also very challenging, but um, for very very different reasons. Uh, you know, COVID really was not <laughs> was not one of my top five reasons for, for finding 2020 challenging, and and that alone um, sort of disappoints me, and um, and brings me back to you know looking after the people in your workplace and, and doing the right thing, and um, it's something that I you know I I, I now move forward, and um, I'm I'm working for LG Fuel, which is now. Uh, was formerly known as Woolworths Petrol. Um, it was uh, Woolworths sold off their petrol business a couple of years ago. And um, one of the things that I sh- I'm striving for in my, my job right now is to make sure that I'm doing my absolute best to um, create an environment of uh, positivity to make sure I'm supporting my people at work. And I'm using sort of some of the um, some of the core experiences that I that I personally um, had to deal with uh, in the past um, I'm using that to um, to try and help my current team um, um, through um, whatever struggles they might be facing on a, on a daily basis so yeah doing my best to um, you know, 
make a positive out of what was not an amazing time. Mm. You're going to be well, mad, madly Googling this now, aren't you, Leon? No, not at all. <laughs> I've actually just got uh, the, the page open to the, your LinkedIn profile and I've just sort of been going through that. And I noticed that your job that you've currently got, uh, you got it through LinkedIn. It actually says LinkedIn <laughs> helped me get this job. <laughs> right. Yes. Look, at it, and you're right, it did. Um, and I remember it coming up and uh, and speaking to one of my friends at, uh, at Coke and uh, who interacted with the, the previous guy in, in the role and I was like, and I was uh, umming and ahhing as to what my, my um, future options were and, and I let it go, you know, um, and, uh, and then about a month later, I saw the same job pop up again in in LinkedIn, and so I thought, oh, you know, I'll give it a go. I'll um, put my hat in the ring, and um, yeah, and a month or so later, they they uh, they gave me the, the job. So um, yeah, thank thank you, LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's been a, a, a tremendous discourse uh, into your life, uh, starting with Brisbane and uh, heading up to Mackay, across to Denmark. We did a, a fairly rigorous uh, <laughs> uh, discussion. It definitely covered some kilometres. And then, and then back uh, back to Brizzy, across to Alice Springs. Uh, up to Darwin, back to Alice Springs again, and uh, back up to Darwin. So you've, yeah. uh, you've had for, you've for had the weather, life. <laughs> for the weather, for the weather, for the weather. It's a look. It's a great wet season this year. So uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I will absolutely say that uh, I, I am actually enjoying the weather at this point in time. Mm. Um, but uh, bring on the dry season, Helion. Well, look, to tell you the truth, mate, I, I, I like them both. I mean, I love the dry, of course, everybody does. But, uh, and look, the wet, yes, there are some days where it's, you know, it, it, it's oppressive. Yeah. I mean, especially when it doesn't rain. That's um, the worst part, when it doesn't rain, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, you look outside right now and you can literally see the grass grow, mate. It is that conducive uh, mm. yeah. to, uh, <laughs> to growth. Yes. You know? so, um, There's a third season, though, Leon, that, that you like above all else, isn't there? What's that, buddy? Mango season. Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, yeah. the build-up is, is it. mango season. So. That's it. The build-up is the bit. Build-up is literally the one part that I don't like. Like if the wet season does, if the wet season actually turns up, I'm actually okay with the wet season. I'm yeah. okay with dry season. You, you know, you've got to have rocks in your head to not like the dry season. But yeah, um, mango true. madness, mate. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, man, mango madness should only be a cocktail you have on uh, Mitchell Street. Uh, <laughs> it should not be your state of mind. <laughs> uh, true. Hey, Brad, I got a couple of questions for you. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to your McDonald's mindset. Mm. Uh, one is, can you give us some insight into the sort of legendary business model that is McDonald's? Um, I mean, I don't think there's anybody on the planet who says, yep, I want to go to McDonald's because they're the best tasting burgers or they make the best chips or fries or, you know, whatever it is. But the theory is whether it's in Copenhagen or in Darwin, uh, within a within a sort of a sphere of, uh, you know, there is that local cuisine that you do see, particularly in Asia, etc. 
you pretty much know what you're going to get. Absolutely, yeah. And I think um, the you know Ray Kroc, what a a, a great guy, you know. And uh, reading reading his book and uh, and understanding what um, what they went through in in the early times and and look, the movie obviously doesn't take uh, all of those components out. And um, and as an internal person in the McDonald's system, certain things that I know, which are just part of the McDonald's fabric. Um, uh, you know, uh, you, in the book, you really get to see where um, those things be- began in the beginning. And uh, I think, look, I could be wrong on on the stats, but I think it might have been Fred Turner uh, who was there with Ray Kroc in the early times, and they they'd opened up too many stores, and they were uh, they were they were finding themselves a cash flow problem. And and Fred said um, to Ray, "Why don't we go and and pay people fortnightly?" And uh, they ended up paying people on the 15th and 29th of the month. And, you know, that decision was made back in the early 60s or something like that. And to this day, uh, McDonald's Corporation, if you're working for the, the company itself, still pays people on the 15th and 29th of the month, you know. And so there were little sort of little things that, that were made early on and, and that simple decision for cash flow uh, back in the 60s, uh, you know, they were going under, you know, and um, it's the difference between us knowing McDonald's today and, um, and, and, and and you know, what could have been. So, um, but look, Ray, um, you know, Ray had his, uh, his, his theme, you know, time, time to land, time to clean, you know, clean as you go and, um, you know, the, the quality service, cleanliness and value um, side of things, which he, he really drilled in and we got drilled into us during our management training and, uh, and you know, I'll go back to, you know, the black and white scenario of what I was talking about before that um, my, my, my training was uh, this is a procedure, do the procedure. It is there's black and there's white. This is this is exactly what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's uh, and that's what gives you that commonality um, to and the familiarity for um, for McDonald's worldwide. If it wasn't for those sorts of um, things being instilled into um, you know thousands of managers' lives, um, brains across the world, that you wouldn't get that final outcome. And 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 that really did stem from Ray's uh, Ray's idea of of duplicating um, these uh, McDonald's stores. And um, you know, the Northern Territory definitely did teach me. Shades of grey, and I know uh, when I need to draw upon um, black and white, and when I bring in the shades of grey into into my management. And um, you know, there's certain things that you can maybe bend the rules on, and there's there's others that you that you need to stick to. And um, you know, it's a it's a it's a bit of a, a, a dance, so to speak. But you know, back to your point um, uh, early on, um, Guy Russo. Uh, who I think guys now with Pizza Hut, I reckon he was our managing director, and he bought out uh, Salads Plus back in the mm. day. The salads, I mean, we used to have the, these salads in a plastic cup with a lid on top, and and um, you know everyone thought it was bloody fantastic. You know, it was all over the news, and you know the sale of our Big Macs and quarter pounders have never done so well. <laughs> <laughs> but when they brought out Salads Plus, and um, you know, similar thing, uh, deli choices where you know these uh, freshly baked rolls got, got brought in, and you know, again, our quarter pounder Big Mac sales have never done so well. And then we brought out in the McCafes, and you know, when you added in the McCafe, you would see. A thirty percent uplift in sales uh, across your entire business, and and yet your cafe sales only made up about ten percent of um of, of your 
uh, sales and and there was obviously a, there was a, a higher food cost and, and uh, labor percentage that would go along with that so you know it was a costly part of the business but when your entire business has grown by 30 percent you know mm. you can offset that um, quite easily and um, and by having a, um, a, a a store refresh in that same time where reinvesting into into the into the business and and, and you also um, reinvest into the local community with those things so um, you know in, in our spring when we did our upgrade you know we we engaged um, um, Phil Danby and, and ProBuild um, um, to to do the work for us and um, and uh, the guys from Asbuild now are um, down there uh, uh, they're actually Paul Graham is actually the you know the guy who, who built the store for us a bit of upgrade so you're reinvesting this money and you're reinvesting into the local community. And although it's a big multinational corporation, um, really when it comes down to it, it, it is about um, local. And I think that is one thing that McDonald's does well um, is to remain grounded and connected on a, on a local level. And if they don't, they're not successful. Mm. Hey, um, just one little myth buster for you. Uh, you mentioned before the... Uh the, the dual driveway or drive-through yeah. in Stewart Park. Yeah. I saw a thing um, recently about uh, how McDonald's restaurants make sure they don't stuff up your orders because, you know, when you go through the dual driveway and there's always some idiot that doesn't want to wait in the queue and they'll jump or whatever. So I think I know what it is, but can you tell me uh, how they right. don't get the orders wrong? Uh, it's quite simple. There's a there's a, a camera, <laughs> and so on the on the on the corner of the the screen uh, when you get to the uh, order taker booth, uh, there is a there should be a picture of your your vehicle um, uh, sitting there in, in the corner. And uh, if people aren't paying attention, uh, the mistakes will be made. Um, mm. But uh, theoretically, it's it's kind of a simple a simple one. Mm, match the food with the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See that that looks like a Prado. This is you know a, a Hyundai Excel. You know it's, uh, it's it's not too difficult. But um, yeah, look, mistakes are made. Uh, I won't uh, I won't deny it. But yeah, and just just one quick last one is is the policy basically if someone says they didn't get what they ordered, just give it to them anyway. Oh, I'm fairly stubborn. <laughs> uh, look, um, treating your customers uh, with dignity and respect is probably the important part, right? Mm. And if someone's trying to rip you off, you know, you, you, I'll, I'll, I'll potentially bring out my stubborn side. But at the same time, if, if a customer's being genuine, um, you know, that, that that's what they're after. They just, but you know, you're in their lives for such a short period of time. And um, you know, one of the things that I did in Alice Springs back in the day, you know, I'd get the same people coming in every day, and they would want to, um, you know, they would always say, "G'day, Brad. Morning, Brad. How are you going? Yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, one Easter, I said to the team, "Right, it's everyone's job." Uh, you know, English English muffin lady. You know, we need to find out what her name is, and you know, this guy. So we would all know them by what their order was. Mm. You know, and you know, we've all got the name tags on, and these guys didn't have name tags on. They they came in, and and so one of the first one was uh, Sheree Sheree Martin. She's a lovely lady, um, and uh, she would come in six days a week. 
Uh, Monday to Friday, she would uh, come inside. Now, whenever we saw her car turn up in the uh, in, in the car park, we would get her coffee ready. We'd have an English muffin with some strawberry jam. I still remember this, you know, 17 <laughs> And we would make sure that when she hit the counter, Cherie's breakfast was, was there ready to go. And when we then found out, you know, when I found out it was Cherie's name, you know, and then I found out that um, you know, her husband's name was Steve and Steve worked locally in, in, in real estate in, in Alice Springs and you know, many years later after Shreve passed away, I would actually go and play golf with Steve on a, on a Wednesday and, <laughs> um, and, you know, and then you found out about, you know, the kids and then, you know, later on in life you found out about the grandkids and I think that that's the underlying thing of what good customer service was, was about and making sure you connect to your customers and you make it a good experience for the customer. And um, it was only a small thing to, to learn someone's name, mm. um, but it just goes so far because, like, as I said, the, ne- the next step then was um, was the husband's name and the, the family's name and everything. And um, you know, a family in Alice Springs, um, uh, oh, I forgot, uh, the Cox family, Paul and Tammy Cox, um, and uh, they had... Uh, uh, Massive family, twelve people, I think, in their fam- um, kids in their family. Uh, some of them were adopted, and and most of them were, were their own. And um, they'd actually drive around Alice in the bus. And uh, I did a similar thing with with them that each week they would shout the kids because obviously it was a bloody expensive thing with twelve <laughs> kids. Uh, and so I, I I got to the point where I memorized their whole entire order, you know, and it was you know sixty nuggets and. Paul wanted his quarter pounder this way, and they get all these chips, and then the kids would get you know cups with water put in it because they didn't want didn't want to have coke for the kids and everything. So got it all ready for them, and then um, and because of that customer service, um, instead of going to Hungry Jacks the following week, or instead of going to Subway or you know and wherever the other places were, um, we found that they started coming to us. Um, you know, and then it was one thing for me to remember Paul and Tammy's name, but to try and remember twelve kids. <laughs> names with, and there was a couple of twins in there as well, which just uh, you know blowing my mind. But um, um, you know, I think that for me is uh, in life is uh, is customer service. You know, um, my dad says it in his business, and dad dad works in uh, mining and quarrying um, in industry, and um, uh, it, he might not be the cheapest person. He's only a small business operator working for himself, but um, it's about the customer service that you provide. To people, and that if you treat your customers right and you do the right thing by your customer, that they're going to come back to you. And um, it's the simplest, simplest, simplest thing to learn. Yet I'm seeing more and more and more people come through, um, and really disappointingly, um, people come through with business degrees, <laughs> uh, and you know, and 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 international students as well. And they're coming in and got a business degree that I'm now putting on as a console operator. But they don't actually understand the, the, the basic concept of good customer service, mm, mm. Uh, and I think that uh, that that's life. It, like in general, I think that you know yep. a, a lot of industries are, are facing that. And if you if you can get good good customer service somewhere, like people are just going to keep going back to it. Yeah, it's um yeah it's unfortunate, but have it as part of your your standard business model. And I think that your business has got a really good chance of succeeding. Completely agree, and it's um, 
Yeah, look, I guess it's uh, also indicative of of the the new generation that are coming through. You know, there's there's certainly positives to that generation as well, but maybe uh, people skills are, are, are not one of them at the forefront. Yeah, I think it's um, uh, academically smart versus street smart, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I... I I sort of go back to my schooling days and, you know, I was a good state school um, uh, guy and I think that some of the attitude of, you know, knowing what it's like at the grassroots on the ground sort of level versus mm. uh, le- learning the, the the theory behind it all, um, you know, I think um, no, nothing nothing beats um, experience. Um, mm. So, um, and it's just the golden rule though as well, right? Like the old do unto others as you have them do unto you. So, um you know, mm. just treat people, you know, with, with respect and dignity. Dignity, it's, a, it's such a, I use those two words, uh, you know, quite, quite often, but it's when you start living them and, you know, they become part of, of what you do and your actions and behaviours day in, day out, I think that actually makes a big difference. Yeah, and Leon always loves a bit of religion thrown in there too, so that's perfect. <laughs> Look, I, I've touched on politics, so... so <laughs> <laughs> religion, politics, you know, don't, don't work with children and dogs. <laughs> so, Brad, we, we can't complete this interview without uh, a tip of the hat to uh, Stephen Tobolowski. Have you ever uh, been asked if you resemble that character? <laughs> I haven't. Do I need to Google this though? Like on on the on the run googling. So, anyone who has ever watched Groundhog Day, right, would know, would know Stephen Tobolowski as Ned Ryerson, the insurance salesman. <laughs> can I um uh, can I say um the one that I normally get? Let me see if I can bring this up on my phone and and <laughs> and, and put this in front of the camera. Um, but um, I have been known as um, – we're going to be able to see this. No, I'm not going to be able to see it. Um, but um, Marv from the Wet Bandits from Home Alone. When I had the beard and I maybe had a little bit more hair, it wasn't as grey on top. But uh, it, over time there's definitely been uh, some similarities to that. And, um, uh, and another one. Randomly, uh, Marley Banks, uh, who is uh, a councillor at Alice Springs Town Council, um, <laughs> she, she dragged me into the the the, uh, the council room uh, and uh, and pulled me over to show me a, a photo of this random American naval officer whose photo was on the wall in the council chambers for some reason in Alice Springs, and even I've got to admit, <laughs> I'm a dead ringer for him. <laughs> so Marley and I, uh, I, I did get a selfie uh, with, with him in the background, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can see the Marv resemblance, but uh, uh, definitely right. check out, uh, check out um, Stephen Tomolowski from Groundhog right. Day. He's... Uh, <laughs> Let's hope the uh, naval guy wasn't a deserter, Brad. Right. Look, I'm probably going to have to go back and find out what the story is. To be honest, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll reach out to Marley and uh, and and see if she can uh, remind me uh, uh, the story. And in fact, 
Maybe Marley's someone you need to have on your on on a future podcast. Fantastic Central Australian woman. Well, we will because uh, we're always looking for people from Alice Springs. And uh, you know, before we got you on the podcast, I didn't actually quite make that Alice Springs connection. So it was great that uh, you know you're one of the few unique um, uh, guests that have actually pivoted between Alice and Darwin. So mm-hmm. and doesn't hate one or the other. <laughs> Look, uh, I, I've actually spent. Um, I was president of Squash NT um, uh, at one point, which uh, you know that slipped through the cracks here. And um, I had done my time in Alice Springs prior to being president of Squash NT. So uh, when I sort of took over, it was I was very much against anything that was you know Darwin this, Darwin that, and what's this bloody Berrima line <laughs> business. And, whatever, you know, we're all equal, we've got to give to, to different people. And, yeah, I did stir uh, the pot uh, quite a bit with uh, some of the uh, the top-end people with um, my, some of my decisions made uh, while I was at Squash NT. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, our, our job at the time was, was purely to promote squash to, to everybody throughout the Northern Territory, and, and, and that's what I was, I was doing. And it was, um, you know, if I get to stir the pot at the same time, I feel like I... Achieve two two tasks at once. <laughs> <laughs> we did say though, when I was working at the Advocate, um, Dave Lawney was the editor down there, and um, and Dave had come from Papua New Guinea, and so he obviously knew of the Berrima Line scenario. But I said, look, to be honest, as a uh, you know at that point eight years or so in Central Australia, I considered it was probably more of the Litchfield Line, and uh, and mm-hmm. I think that maybe it sort of rolls off the tongue just a little bit better than uh, the Berrima line. And, uh, and I think that really the way politics has sort of moved in the Northern Territory, I think Litchfield line is potentially uh, a lot more relevant. Um, so, you know, if you want to you know, try and get on a Matt Williams and if you guys want to, you know, try and get this to catch on, Litchfield line. We'll coin a term together, shall we? I think we should because, look, it's uh, when you look at uh, what, Labor's got all of two, all but two of the um, Darwin Palmerston uh, region seats. Um, you know that's um, that that's pretty much how they lost government in 2012 to start with because of the focus on the north. So um, you know, and CLP's gained some ground back elsewhere. And yeah, I really do think that um, the literary line uh, it does resonate. And I'm sure my friends uh, in in the rural areas. Um, Casey Purick and, and others might uh, might agree with me as well. Well, on that note, um, we thank you for coming on the podcast, uh, Brad. It's been great getting to know you. I feel like I've, I've known you my whole life now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch you around. Do you actually attend the Chamber of Commerce events at all? I haven't because uh, I, I need to maybe convince my boss to uh, to join the, the local <laughs> chamber of, chamber of commerce. So uh, if if my boss ever watches this, uh, <laughs> uh, boss, let's uh, sign up to the chamber of commerce. Thanks for joining us, Brad. Thank you, guys. Really, really enjoyed it. That was Brad Gaddis on the Territory Story podcast. We'll catch you again next time. You've been listening to the Territory Story podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.